Welcome to Her Stories, a series of podcasts showcasing the diverse expertise, wisdom, and courage of the members of the Mediterranean Women Mediators Network, presented by peace activist Magda Zenon. In each episode, recorded during the coronavirus social isolation period, a different mediator shares her story. Hello, this is Magda. Today on Her Stories, we speak with Rida Altuboli. Rida is co-founder of the NGO Together We Build It, a university professor, and is also one of the women on the BBC 100 Women 2019 list. Welcome, Rida. Hi, Magda. As I said so earlier... So happy to, to be with you. Thank you very much for having me. It's lovely to speak with you, and I look forward to meeting you in real to being with you physically again soon, but it's good to speak yeah. to you online. Um, <laughs> me too, me too. <laughs> uh, to introduce you to the listeners, but you will uh, build on that yourself, is that you have been very strong and visible in pushing for the participation of women in the peace process of gender equality, of women's empowerment, and the, the implementation of United Nations Security Council 1325. But you tell me a little bit yeah. more about because you wear you wear many hats. Yeah, actually, but they are all um, you know related, interrelated, and interlinked. You know, don't forget that that all the issues that I'm doing, they are different tasks, but they are you know they are fitting my head at least. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, so okay, let me first say a bit about my organization because this is a very important um, issue to say for me, you know. Um, actually, in 2011, after what is called the uh, Arab Spring, uh, we have, um, I have co-founded an organization called Together We Build It, which is based in Tripoli, Libya. And this organization, I can describe it as intergenerational uh, non-profit organization working to promote peace and security in Libya. Uh, you know, together we build it, and myself as a co-founder and director, we believe in the um, important role of the intergenerational gender approach to formal and non-formal peace building and peace process, of course. Why do you, why do you think it's why do you think it's important the intergenerational? You know what when I when we when I co-founded this organization it was myself as a university professor and the three uh, university students, and since we started and established the organization, one of the important you know uh, slogan we had is look uh, the difference in age is not a problem. So let's work together in harmony. Let's, you know, try to, to reach the maximum of what we are working on. We have the same cause. We are committed. We have the same capacity and ability to do, not the same capacity. Oh, I don't mean the same capacity in a physics, physical way, yes. but what I mean is we are all as four people uh, trying to do something for this country to improve the situation in the country, etc., and uh, of course, it was a very successful uh, experience. And since we established this organization, you know, everything we used 
and of course the number of people uh, who joined us increased, etc. And everyone wanted to join us. Uh, she or he will put in mind that there's no difference between seniors and young people. Sometimes I sit in the back seat and these young people drive the car mm-hmm. or the whatever we are doing. And in, in another way around, sometimes I sit, I drive and they sit back. So it depends on what exactly we want to do. And every decision, every, um, you know, every idea, it comes out, you know, as a collection of the views and ideas of these people, young and senior. Mm. And we've, we did amazing issues. We, you know, a lot of a project we had, uh, you know, worked on, became creative and very distinguished and very, you know, interesting. And this is all because it had, you know, the, the experience of senior people, the touch of young people, and sometimes even the experience of young, uh, of young people, because mm. even youth, they have experience in certain issues that senior lack, you know. So this is the way it worked. And for, for us, it became, you know, the, 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 the main guideline intergenerational diversity doesn't mean that we should separate who put a line no 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 it's it's all as i said about how to work together how to understand each other how to work for a cause this is the what we you know we had actually this also fitted perfectly with a good um a nice campaign you did about you not seeing the whole picture yeah of course and believe me if it wasn't the this campaign if it didn't come you know after the discussion of the different people different ages you know different ideas it wouldn't be in this you know amazing interesting campaign so it became like an extract you know mm. an extract of of different experiences different generations yeah Okay, because you did a that campaign was very successful. That you're not seeing the whole picture, you're missing yes. the full picture. You are missing the full picture. Yes, and I think it's the full picture also in terms of different genders and also in terms of different ages. So I think that's a lo- it's a lovely way of putting why yeah. we always need to yes, include. Yes, of course. That's true. Exactly what you said, Majda. This is this is what happened. So um, going back in a bit about uh, the the organization, I mean, uh, we we led uh, the establishment of an important network, which is 1325 network in Libya. Mm-hmm. And because we are based in Tripoli, and because we there's an active war taking place in Libya for like almost ten years now. So through this network, we were able to reach the whole country. You know, we cover. Our work cover at national level, and this is through our or through this network where we have like focal points um, in different regions in Libya. Of course, the the uh, we are working not only on the uh, promoting participation of women in formal and informal visa process, but also we are dealing with a lot of issues related to women, like empowerment uh, of women to take part in politics, uh, issues related to women like. Uh, I mean, preventing and uh, raising awareness against harmful gender norms, gender-based violence. You know, also we took part and I myself contributed to research, reports, monitoring the implementation of uh, women and youth, you know, women, I mean, this uh, security agenda, etc. So it's like I said, it's 
the the whole idea is how to work together on our you know cause. In the conversation before we started this interview, you said something that I think yeah. is very important and really needs to be pointed out. A, a Libyan woman and Libyan people are not living in normal conditions, and they haven't been for quite a while. So everything you do is in a context that is challenging. And I'm using that word gently. What, mm-hmm. and I mean, the political situation has been volatile. Things yeah. have changed after following the fall of Gaddafi. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. What has changed for women and girls in Libya after Gaddafi? And what, because you said, you made that comment about what we in the West are living with the coronavirus of self-isolation and fear you have been living in for the last six or seven years. Yeah, that, that that's true. I mean, this is also, you know, Magda, uh, when coronavirus crisis, you know, appeared and uh, people start sensing uh, the effect of coronavirus, we, we found a lot of issues that we, we are going through actually even be, before coronavirus. And uh, for us, it was exhausting. You know, it wasn't easy. I mean, we faced um, a lot of challenges which you are facing now. And uh, we had no choice, only to try to, you know, navigate, try to maneuver to continue working. Because if we didn't, if we couldn't do that, we wouldn't have been able to survive and continue our work so far, mm. you know. Of course, one of the issues when, when I, I co-founded and established this organization, of course, because it was established during the war. And uh, for me, security of our member was in the top mm, of, of course. you know, of our like aim and work. And for this reason, you know, we start, we learned how to, to, to navigate and maneuver. As I, and as I mentioned, you know, many times we were planning for a meeting in person, the whole group, for mm. example, of the organization. And all of a sudden we, next day we find that there's a fight outside. And all we do is just to try to, to have this meeting and not to cancel it, but we have it virtual. Of course, we had other, by the way, other challenges, which is like, uh, you know, the internet and power cut, etc. And sometimes we need to cancel the meeting. But if we have been able to have good communication, like uh, connectivity with the internet, etc., we just continue and have that meeting. And this applies also on like training, uh, you know, uh, campaigning, etc., and, uh, of course, you know, the interesting thing is Libyans, because they went through a hard time, you know, when, when uh, the coronavirus uh, crisis started, they didn't see it as a, uh, an enemy. You see what I mean? For them, <laughs> it was like, well, it was like unseen enemy, you know. Yeah. Uh, and people sometimes when I, during like uh, raising awareness campaign, sometimes people are, you know, discussing and saying, what are you talking about? You are talking about uh, a virus, a small virus, which I don't see. And I'm seeing like, you know, uh, rockets are flying in, in, in the sky because, you know, you, sometimes you hear uh, how to say sound or voice of the, of the, uh, the rocket yes. while it, was, it is flying um, on your head, yes. on your plane. Over years. And you don't know, yeah, and, and you don't know exactly what's, where it's going to fall, maybe over your head. So for them, you know, it became like a joke. Are you talking? 
I mean, just after, you know, a while when they saw the impact of the virus on the whole world, they started realizing that, okay, now we have two enemies, unseen one, and we have, you know, these fighting people, you know, <laughs> and the scene. What That's is, true. What has changed? Has anything changed? Have, have you come to understand the, the invisible enemy? Uh, uh, you know, as I said, you know, people just, of course, not all people were thinking this way because there are people who are educated and aware of, you know, the harm of, uh, you know, being affected with this virus and, uh, you know, how the community might be affected in general. But as I said, I mean, some people who are really fed up, I can say, who are exhausted, who reach to a point to where they are overwhelmed, you know, mm. people who are uh, displaced from their places, you know, because we have people who are for over a year now, almost a year and a half since April last year, they have, you know, evacuated their places and they are displaced. So when you come to someone who lost everything and you come and say, look, take care, you know, there's a restriction about like a cor coronavirus. I mean, he or she is not seeing uh, this virus, but they are seeing other very harmful, harmful situation they are living in. You know, so this is this is why they were feeling like this. But as, as I said, uh, the government took some restrictions. Uh, they imposed some uh, uh, rules and regulations. They people started uh, realizing. After the big change in the world, the whole world, you know, just isolated, etc. So they started realizing that it's better to take care of Corona as well. Uh, otherwise, if the rocket couldn't reach you, <laughs> Corona might reach you as well. So yeah, so but, uh, but really uh, Rita, hard for people. I think it's very easy to understand why some people don't understand coronavirus when your life is in danger, in real danger, That's as true. in there's a bomb or like the people in Yemen. How can you explain washing your hands every day when there's That's no running true. water? So, so I think, yeah. so I think the, the common conversation about what we should be doing in coronavirus, can we quite, um, it's not universal. And I think that's what we all need to be careful of. Of course, we all say, well, don't come too close. When I'm living in a refugee camp, that's not mm, possible. Mm, <laughs> mm, mm. That's true. But I'll tell you something, Magda. I think that um, the corona crisis, I mean, should change the world. Mm, it has. Because for me, as a Libyan woman who's living in, uh, you know, war or grounded in my experience in war for almost 10 years now. So I don't see lines between women peace and security agenda okay and corona virus crisis and human security i agree with and, you it's the and same thing so the yeah of course the, these three issues cannot be separated and when people now are talking about like um uh, shifting for example fundings from uh empowering women or having uh, you know, or funding projects to um, empower women or promote for women business security agenda. This is completely wrong because I tell you what, during this crisis, there are uh, some groups have been, you know, created and established on social media, on mm -hmm. Facebook. And these groups were to uh, work to raise awareness of people uh, on coronavirus, you know. And they were very successful in raising aware, awareness of many be, uh, people. 
when you come to to see these uh, spontaneously um, established groups or created groups, you will find that the majority of people who are leading these groups are women. Exactly. And I know, and I know some of them who had already the chance to be trained, you know, uh, and participated in workshops and meetings related to women, peace and security. Mm. So, you know, uh, it's not wasting a time and money, you know, and resources if you work on women to empower them, to improve their capacity, to, to, to make them, you know, able to face the challenges. Because uh, when we are living in this life, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. So making them able to, to, to think, to face any unexpected crisis, this is in itself very important. So how come you say that, well, we need to, to like shift uh, funding and resources to face, uh, for example, this crisis, and it's not time, for example, for women business security agenda or empowering women uh, related to this, uh, this topic, etc. So I can't see separation between them because you need to, to work on parallel on these issues to be able to gain success, you know, in, uh, to be able to accomplish what you want to, to do. I think what, yeah. we, what we all need to understand and maybe explain a bit a little bit clearer is that women peace, and secu- women, peace and security is not related specifically to war. It's also related to times of crisis. That's true. That's true. And, and for this reason, I'm, I'm, talk, I'm saying that human security, which is one of the issues in human, a very important key issue in human security is health, you know. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, health care. And if you ignore human security, you will not be able to work in women business security and you won't be able to protect people from from a, 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 like a crisis like corona because they are interlinked you know absolutely you need to, and why i'm saying women by the way why i'm saying women based on security because you know if you come to libya and see the health field you will find that the majority of this health service provider are women yeah 90% of nurses are women half percent of doctors are women Who's taking care of people at home and in the society? They are women. So, as you said, Magda, it's not only about having people in the middle of a war mm. or in the middle of um, a conflict, armed conflict, but what about post-conflict? Exactly. You know, how to sustain this peace if, if, you, if you reach to a point where you can uh, get peace? So this is very important. Mm. It's also hard to sustain the caregivers because what I, and caregivers at every level, because what I think we've all seen with the corona is that women are the ones mainly that are looking after the kids that are at home because they can't That's go to true. school. They're the ones That's that true. are looking after the old people if they're not at the um, nursing home. They're the ones that yeah. are the nurses. Yeah. So at every level, and then we you get these men in gray suits saying, let's jumpstart the economy. The people have been carrying on doing work. The world has carried on. And who's been responsible for that? So please don't tell me there hasn't. It's not the major economy, but it's the economy that has sustained the communities. That's true. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah of course. And they are impacted negatively, by the way, by this coronavirus, because, you know, uh, because of the, the war in Libya, you know, we, Libya went through and still, 
through a, a prob problem with a bank. We have bank crisis, you know, for liquidity, etc. And women, you know, men started uh, losing their jobs and couldn't get a reach. And even women, of course, reached their salary, etc. And women started like very, very small, uh, you know, projects at home. Uh, the majority of these projects based or depends on catering, like, uh, you know, small initiatives, like preparing some food. And all these kind of projects are based on, like, you know, having events, uh, mm. uh, ga uh, social gathering, etc. And all these kind of activities have, has been, have been stopped now. So these women lost even the other uh, you know, source resources. They mm, couldn't exactly. actually work. They and they have been impacted in a way or another after becoming the the breadwinner for the families. Exactly. You know? There, where there was a crisis, they supported their family, and suddenly the world settles, and they no longer they no yes. longer have value. But let's That's go. To, true. Let's go to one of your one of one of your many success stories. Let's let, tell me a little bit about Palermo. Right. Can I, I mean, I don't know if we have a time, but can I start it uh, a bit before Palermo? Because Absolutely. I wanted to show that, yeah, I wanted to show that mediation, mediation, you know, because mediation is a process in which uh, the parties discuss their disputes with the assistance of a third person or persons, as you know. And this person or persons will assist them to reach a settlement. Mm -hmm. And from my experience, we found that it is very important not to to draw lines between mediation, informal mediations, and formal mediations. I tell you why. Because in, in a country like Libya, if we couldn't manage to to have a, a base and a ground for informal mediation, we wouldn't be able to, for example, to call for formal mediation and the formal peace process related to Libya, or to call. And have you know a loud voice to say uh, at a global level that we want women mediators in the formal peace process between, for example, like now the invoice from uh, United Nations, etc. Mm. And of course, for for me and from my experience, I found that the major uh, women in general struggle to be heard, mm. you know, by the parties in countries affected by conflict, and also they are facing a challenge of continuity of being sidelined at the negotiation type and this uh, table. And this is what's happened, uh, of course, in Libya, you know. And uh, because of this, we, as, and as I said, I don't see line between the type, types of mediations. You know, many women in Libya so far already mediate at informal level, working as bridge builders mediating local arrangements. But you know what? They are unseen. They are not influential enough. It's not because they are unable to, to mediate or they failed in mediating. No, no, it's, it's because there is a gap between what they are doing on the ground and what, and the high level decision uh, making people up there, you know. And I believe that without empowering these women to take part in the right way in the informal mediation, we won't be able to reach the formal mediation. Um, and for this reason, we started this work, which has led to Balermo's success later, and we wanted 
for our credibility and to be able to push parties to have more diverse presentation, we wanted to walk the talk ourselves. Okay. Not only as women, of course, and not only just like walk the walk, but we, need, we wanted to do something. We wanted to have a base. And for this reason, together we built it. My organization wanted women to be heard and wanted women to come out with one message regarding women's participation in the formal visa process. And this is, we saw this as a tool for us as organization to be able to fight with. Because, you know, Magda, sometimes, you know, many people saying, well, you are privileged women, you, women. They, of course, mean women who are working in civil society or women who are, for example, like in, the, uh, in these mediator networks, for example. They see us like privileged women who are talking or, and asking for things not related to women on the ground, you know. Mm. And because of this, we wanted to fight for women's participation in the formal visa process, but, but what, based on what women on the ground say. And we gathered women from across all over Libya, you know, and we brought them to talk and discuss about women uh, participation at formal visa process. But you know what? We faced a problem. It was an obstacle, which is the escalation of political polarization among women, you know, okay. themselves because of this recent war, which was which break out last Last April, actually. So is it a polarization um, between political parties or between classes? Uh, you know, women affiliated politically. Mm, At okay. least not all of women, but the majority of women became affiliated and they were supporting one party against another. Okay. You know, and this is uh, we faced this obstacle when we were like uh, discussing issues of women. And of course, uh, this made them, you know, paying attention to what's going on politically on the ground rather than calling for gender equality, you know, uh, and calling for more participation for women and, and uh, not only in politics, in the peace process. Of course, they are not ignoring it, but, you know, because of polarization, they started seeing other issues more priority than, than calling for this. And here it came, this is what I want to, 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 to highlight. Here it came the importance of mediation. Okay. And as together we build it, who, uh, you know, uh, who, mediate, who mediated uh, this process of discussion, you know, I took myself this part and I started mediating between, between two disputing groups. Or the dis, uh, starting, I mean, trying to eliminate the, uh, this dispute or resolve this uh, or try to make them come together at least on one thing, which is women-related issues. Yes, okay, uh, we don't mind that every one of you have, I mean, the groups, the parties, everyone have a few uh, different, you know, uh, beliefs and ideas and supporting uh, different political parties, but let's at least come together on, on women's issues, you know. I'm so sorry, it's strange that you mentioned this because we have a very similar problem in Cyprus. Right, yeah. The polarization yeah. between the, the fact that they can't come together on a simple thing like gender yeah. equality is beyond me. I can, yeah, of course, I, I can imagine that. I can imagine that. But at that, uh, at that stage, we wanted them to come with, to, reun to unite 
on one statement, on one issue to mm. call for, because this is, will give us, you know, a, to, a tool to exactly. fight with. To say, you are saying that we are a civil society women and educated women are, you know, uh, as I said, privileged and talking about issues not related to women on the ground at community level. Now here you are, you have women at community level and they are calling. And, and this is what happened, you know, we succeeded in this mediated the pro mediation process. And I, I, I managed to make these women come together and call for one thing, you know, they called on national authority and international community to consider the right of women to be fairly represented in the formal, you know, I'm talking about formal now, in the formal piece of process as their men counterparts, Wow, you know. And you can't imagine, you know, even women who were, you know, were not highly educated, women who were from very far and rare areas in Libya, they were saying, yes, unless we have women in the peace process, we wouldn't be, we will not be able to, to get what we want for us as women. Men will not represent us, definitely. You know, and this is actually, this was the success, you know, oh, at a lot of level uh, mediation. Yeah, of course. And, and this is, you know, what Magda, this has gave us, you know, a tool. And this gave us a power to say to people up there that, look, we are not, we are not talking about our thoughts, our beliefs as educated, as you describe as educated and, you know, privileged women. But of course, we don't agree with that. We are not privileged. We are facing every challenge as every woman having. You know, I'm facing a lot of issues, power cuts, uh, security risks, uh, you know, lack of uh, internet, etc. It's, it's all about why you are talking on, on women issue. Mm. So this is why they are considering you as a privileged woman. And of course, in response to their call, to the call of these women who were, uh, you know, reunited and came together, and to walk the walk, uh, I have been engaged and successfully lobbied to obtain the later inclusion of three women in the formal Libyan delegations at Palermo Conference for Libya. And you know what? As we mentioned earlier, this is, was after a campaign called You Are Missing the Full Picture. Yes. And as, uh, I mean, as, as you mentioned, it was... It, it became an extract of the thoughts and, you know, efforts of different generations in my organizations. But this is also, you know, so by starting this campaign, I can describe that we started a, another mediation, you know, mission. Okay. Because by starting this campaign, we targeted two I mean, two levels, which is the national level, I mean, the Libyan authority and the international community. Why I'm saying international community? Because international community who is mediating the formal, I'm talking about now the formal visa process, international community, which is represented by UNSMIL, the mission of United Nation, the United Nation mission to Libya, mm -hmm. which has been established since 2011. And also member states who are working on Libya and interested in Libya. So, you know, after, as I said, after establishing uh, and started this campaign, you are missing the full picture. Yep. We became to a different level of mediation. 
So I have mediated a dialogue between the government and together we build it as representative of civil society. And we managed after this, you know, uh, mediation process to, to make the president of Libya taking a decision to include women in their formal delegation. So you, so therein lay the power of the mediation that you actually got the woman to come together, speak with one voice, which made sure that the yeah. president listened. That's true. And even when there was a discussion between the, the president and the, the group who were discussing with him, I mean, it was, it started like, you know, both have different ideas, but it ended by having the same thoughts and idea. At least, at least uh, we were able, or the group was able to say, look, Mr. President or the government, we are not talking of what we are thinking. Uh, of course, we we are uh, we have these same thoughts, but also we are bringing a message from down there, from the community. Women there are asking you and calling on you. Why are you excluding? Mm. Why are exe- you are excluding women from the delegation, uh, the formal delegation? Because Magda, before Palermo, why why we worked on Palermo in the first place, just to to make things more clear. We targeted Palermo because there was a lot of meetings and conferences which were uh, mediated by international community, either UN or the um, member states, and women were totally excluded. Imagine UN or UNSMEL, who's supposed to promote for, you know, their, uh, you know, resolutions, Okay. they excluded women. Also member states who have long history in democracy, when I'm talking about member states, uh, there are almost five member states, etc. They were even members of Security Council, and okay. they're supposed to promote for implementation of 1325. And even though they just ignored women and excluded women. And for this reason, we were, you know, targeting these two different levels. Our national authority, our government, and also uh, international community who are who is mediating the the visa process okay. and who is in charge of the formal visa process take going on in Libya. You know, that's great because and, you, you actually yeah. you connected all the pieces. You connected the grassroots yes. woman to the privileged woman in inverted commas to make a yeah. statement, and in that way you were able to then target the national authorities and the international community? Yes, of course. And we were like playing, you know, either also like a mediation between... uh, It wasn't a mediation in, 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 I mean, a real definition of mediation, but we were like, you know, trying to bring what is our national uh, authority thinking and doing and what is international community also thinking and doing. And both both groups, by the way, were saying, well, the our national authority were saying it's not our, our fault. International community are inviting men to, to participate and they form a piece of process by names. So they are making the, the invitations to us. We didn't exclude women. And international community, who is the UN and the also mem- some member states, representative of member states, they were saying, well, it's not our fault. I mean 
if the Libyan delegations want to include women, they can do. You see what I mean? So yes. we became in the middle. Everyone like blaming the other side. Exactly. At the end, yeah, at the end, we managed to, to make the government uh, uh, naming three women. Three women. And yeah, and we managed to make, by the way, we managed to make international community, which is again the UN and the, um, especially member states, to be honest, ambassadors of member states and representatives of some member states, to, to support our campaign. Okay. And you know what? Without supporting our campaign, our local authority wouldn't respond to us in the same way as they did because they saw how the social media was full of political support through retweeting our tweets, you know, sending like uh, statements that support women participation, etc. You know, so, so, so it was very important here. And also, you can see a different level of mediation when we reached Palermo, because there were the three women who were named and uh, appointed to be within the uh, or among the formal delegation. Mm-hmm. And but we but we thought again, okay, we have women who will go to Palermo, so we wanted to make these women visible. We wanted to make our Libyan men who are in the delegation knowing that. Even though they were pushed to have these women, these women, you know, are considered by international community and they are well recognized and they are paying attention to them. So from this, you know, point, we decided to, to, to go to Palermo. Um, myself, as a representative of Together We Build It, who hold the campaign from the very beginning, and you and women who supported uh, our cam- uh, funded our campaign, and of course there was the rule here of the uh, Mediterranean Women Network who helped us to reach the our goal, and also the Nordic uh, Women Network. You know, so also there in in Palermo itself, there was an important level of mediation where we wanted. I wanted actually to to make these women able to reach international community there, meet with high-level delegation, Mm -hmm. you know, representative of high-level delegation, because also we wanted not only just to have them there, but we wanted these countries to show their support, you know, and to say it out loud. We wanted something to come out from this Balermo, not only having, because it's only three women who are not sitting on the main table, we know that, mm-hmm. but at least it's like we broke with this, uh, with reaching this point, the the uh, the the cycle, and uh, we managed to have women at least in the formal delegation. And to be honest, I was very happy that we managed to make five countries, which were, which was Sweden, the Netherlands, UK, Austria, Canada, and the World Bank to give to give very strong statements in the final session. You know. And all of them called Libyan authority and international community to uh, make sure to include women in any coming events or any coming, uh, you know, meetings uh, within the formal piece of process. And they also, uh, you know, even um, criticized how women participated in the delegations were excluded from the main table, you know. Uh, this, this also takes us to 
the almost the final question because we're running out of time. You have so yeah. many stories. Um, the Mediterranean Woman Media Network. You've already shown what it poss- what it did for you in Palermo. What what is the role you feel it should be playing? If it should be playing something different. Uh, to be, you know what? To be honest, it's um, things. I believe that there's no main uh, role, but things are paced should be should be flexible. Any magda, any help or support, I believe that it should be paced on case by case. For example, okay. because you know what happened. You know. Till like before Palermo, three days before Palermo, women were not included. You see what I mean? Yes. So, yeah, what happened is all happened all of a sudden. We managed to to convince the government, and because of the support of international community, at least politically, they they showed response, and we decided to go to Palermo. And here we found that. We need the support of the Mediterranean Women Network. So, uh, so what you say? But let me say something. This takes me to something, which is now we had women in Palermo, but we faced that the challenge that women are not in the main uh, in the main table. So I think that the Mediterranean Women Network and other networks can work on something different. And even before these events take place, designing the table. You know what? This is one of the issues that we came out from this meeting, that we need to make these decision makers and who is like UN or member states who is facilitating such events or meetings, they should design the table. Why they should design the table? Because we don't have women as the president of Libya. We don't, and when I'm saying Libya, I'm just giving it an example because I'm talking about this example. Uh, uh, Rarely you find a woman who had a parliament, you know. So definitely, if if you are if you are inviting people who are heading or are leading institutions, political institutions in a country, the majority of them are men. So if you want really women to be there, you need to design the table in a way which you know, guarantee that there will be women in a way or another sitting there. You see what I mean? Okay, so, what so you, I think, so the I role think, yeah, you want them the, to play is to put pressure to ensure that the table is designed in yeah. such a way that women have full, yeah. put, uh, uh, comp, uh, full participation. Yes, yes, of course. So this is, can be, we, we can work on that uh, a long time ahead and not only for Libya in general, that we make that for example, uh, UN have, uh, you know, do something. I, I don't know how to describe it, but in a way or another, we can work on that. We can lobby for that. We can push for that. That in any piece of process, that, that the, the table should be designed in a way that guarantee having women sitting on the main table. Before we close this interview, I would like you to tell me if you have any role models. Is there any woman that you can tell me that has played an inspirational part in your life? Well, to be uh, to be honest, I um, I used to have uh, you know a lot of role model who is you know worldwide and very well known, etc. But after this recent war, you know, I started seeing a lot of women who is in my neighborhood, who is living near to me, who is. 
I know because, you know, the Libyan society is very small and we know each other. And uh, there's even like um, a relation, uh, relations between, it's very easy, Magda, to meet someone from Libya and if you ask about someone, uh, he or she might know her This or sounds him, like Cyprus. You know? and, yeah, and I found many, many women who can be considered as a role model. For me, myself, I'm the educated, the highly educated woman who's, you know, working for women issue, etc. Sometimes I feel, you know, like shame when I say, well, I did and they do because because they are doing amazing, amazing issues. You know, they are paying the price for things that they are not, you know, responsible um, for contributing to. And no one recognizes them, you know, no one is recognizing them. So for me now, I would say that my role model is every Libyan woman who is, you know, suffering because they are going through a very hard situation, you know, and they lost their families, they lost their sons, they lost their houses, they, and still, you know, standing on the ground trying to again, you know, fulfill the needs of their family, their neighborhood, uh, help others, you know. So I have a lot of role models who just in my local community, my neighborhood, a lot and a lot. I think that's a lovely note to end this interview on because I agree with you. Your role model are the invisible women. And these are the women that's that we true. need. And we need to bring them out because unless they're women in the street looking after the older people or the children or putting food on the table, this world yeah, would not yeah. exist. So I will second that for you that role models are the invisible women that we need to work harder for and work harder yeah. to promote. And, and you can see them, but unfortunately they are not recognizable by by people, by, by for example, the authorities, yes. by, you know, so this is really heartbreaking that they, and they are not asking to be a role model, but they are doing everything is, you know, voluntarily yes. and spontaneously. And this is the amazing thing, you know. Okay, I agree with you. I think it's that's a that's a that's left a, war, a warmer feeling in my heart. I agree with you. They're not invisible, and they don't they're not invisible, but they don't mind being invisible because they're just carrying on doing what they need to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you, Rita, for spending this time with me. I, again, I learned a lot from you. I always do, and I Thanks look forward so. to see you in person soon. Stay safe, stay safe and looking forward to meet you and to see you, I mean, in the near future. And me too. Hope things come better. <laughs> Thank you, Rita, and have a lovely rest of Bye. the day and yeah. stay safe. Enjoy the weekend and have a nice uh, rest day and stay safe like that. Stay safe. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode of Her Stories, Please leave comments, suggestions and reviews and share with anyone you feel may find this equally interesting. A big thank you to our sponsor, You and Woman, and see you on the next episode.